Man, it's good to be up here. I, we were away uh, last weekend visiting our daughter in Indiana, and it was a blessing to see our grandchildren and uh, visit with our with her family and see some old friends. Uh, for y'all that don't know, we spent 20-plus years in a little town called Vincennes, Indiana, and so we still have a lot of friends there, and it was good to get back and, and visit with those folks and family, but it's always good to be back with this family. So uh, I'm thankful to be here, and I'm, I, I'm humbled by the opportunity to, to stand in and speak uh, this morning. So um, that being said, we got some things. I, I wanted to go ahead and offer prayer this morning. Uh, we've got some, some people that need uh, some prayer, uh, the Campbells. Uh, if they're, there they are. Could you guys come forward, if you don't mind? Uh, they're going to be going to Texas for an extended stay and um, going to be down there with some doctors and things. And I just wanted to pray for them as, as they start that journey and um, pray that God will just hold them up in the middle of that. And uh, Michael Blue, can you come up? I want to pray for you, brother, too. Anybody that wants to come forward and pray for these folks, anybody else? there's anybody else that needs prayer right now, we'd be glad to. There you go. All right. That's what family does. They come and pray, right? Michael, it's good to see you, brother. All right. All right. Everybody's getting their exercise this morning. All right. You got a few more coming. Is there any other any other thing somebody needs prayer for today? All right. All right, let's pray. Father God, I just lift up Kelsey and Travis. God, is there they're going to be starting a trip uh, to, on a journey uh, with this pregnancy? God, I pray for them. I pray you would undergird them and hold them up, give them strength in this time. God. I pray you give wisdom to doctors and lawyers or doctors and nurses and technicians and all the people that will be uh, attending to them. God, I pray for that. I pray this through this time that they would, they would see you and trust you in all things, God, that they would uh, increase their faith through all this. Lord, we ask this in, in the name above all, the name of Jesus. I pray your Holy Spirit would just uh, comfort them and give them peace. Lord, we pray for understanding in these trials, God, in these storms. We ask that. I, I just want to thank you for uh, my brother Michael Blue being here with us, God. I'm just thankful that you've done a work in his life, and I pray you continue to do that. I pray you continue just to hold him up in the middle of this, God, and just uh, help him see the purpose that you have for him and his life. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And also, I uh, just want to lift up Victoria as she's healing, and, and all the ones I can't remember, Lord, everybody that's going through a, a medical issue today or struggling a little bit, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would just move uh, on all these things. Lord, uh, we thank you that we could come to you, God, and you listen to us, and you answer our prayers. God, we know, uh, Lord, that you're working when we can't even see you working. We thank you for this time. I love these folks, and I pray you just continue to minister to them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yeah. Come on.
You're going to be at the end. Yep. Yep. Thank y'all for coming up. I just wanted to talk a little bit about prayer. Um, since I've become a Christian, I've always known that prayer was hugely important. A little more than a year ago, um, my wife, Susie, most many of you know, if you come in the front door, you've met her. Um, she's not shy, but I, I will tell you, um, she was having some pain, and, and she went to the doctor, and we got some news we didn't really, uh, we weren't really prepared for, but I'm going to let her tell part of it, and then I'm, we'll, we'll finish it out, but uh, it was back in March of last year, um, just, before, just before the couple's retreat last year, um, we went down to Spartanburg, and I dropped her off thinking, oh, it's probably no big deal, it's probably nothing. Um, they'll give her some something and she'll be fine. So, anyway, I guess, so, go ahead. Um, so, um, we went and had a pretty good sized tumor on an ovary and, um, that they were going to do a test for cancer. When you hear that word, you just go to pieces. But um, so it was on a Wednesday, and afterwards, um, I told Mark. I said, um, "We're going to the prayer. I'm going to prayer group." And I had the men pray over me. And then it was that weekend was a marriage retreat, and all those couples prayed over me. And Sunday, I'm sitting in church, and my phone goes off. And my doctor was calling me to tell me that you don't have cancer. But I was still so I went for surgery, and um, but there was still a lot of prayer going on. I was walking up to um, be prayed over by the church, and um, it's when the doctor called. So, um, but then when I went in for my surgery, there was no tumor. I'll let you tell what the doctor said. <laughs> um, I don't know why God answers prayers like that sometimes. You know, when we got that news, I said, Lord, whatever door we got to go through, we'll do it. And, and I know you'll carry us. And, um, but I told the Lord that Wednesday night when Susie came up here and the men prayed over her and I, I was, I was, I had my hands on her, and I just said, "Lord, if you, if you would heal her, we'll give you glory for that, every chance we get." And that's all I can tell you, is it's for His glory. 
because miracles like that don't happen every day and they don't happen every time. And it doesn't have anything to do with how much faith we had, even though we had faith. We know he's able. But I went in with Susie before the operation to remove this tumor, and I asked the doctor, I said, he asked me, you got any more questions? He told us about the procedure and how it was going to go. And I said, no. I said, I'd just like to pray for you and your team, if that's all right. And he said, absolutely. So I prayed, and, and then I went out in the waiting room, and he told me about how long it was going to take. And probably about 10 or 15 minutes before it should have been done, somebody came to the door and called my name and said, the doctor's waiting on you, and uh, he's going to tell you how the procedure went. And I said, okay. So I went back there, and he's, there's no, nothing more exciting than to see a doctor sitting there scratching his head with a folder in his lap. And he said, Mr. Brannion, we did the procedure, and we went in, and to get that tumor, it wasn't there. And he said, I, I can't tell you why. And he didn't know why. And I said, well, I know why. I said, because I know the one that truly heals. And I said, that's the, that's the, that's the only why. And it, it, he looked at me, and he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I know you're a praying church. You're a praying man. You told me that. He said, if I ever need prayer, I'm going to call your team. So, thank you. I feel really humbled to be here, um, especially as I look back over my life, and I appreciate Josh singing. I requested that song, There Was Jesus. It's one of my favorite songs uh, because if I look back through my life, I have no doubt that he was always there. And he was, he was always there, even when I wasn't even looking for him. And I wasn't even pursuing him in any way. And I wasn't trying to, to have a relationship with him. I didn't even understand what that was about. Um, so several months ago, the Lord just started impressing upon me about following him and really what that looks like uh, to follow Christ. Um, I don't know how you are, but by nature, I'm not a great follower. I, know. I remember even in, in, in elementary school, you know, I wanted to be up on the front line. Man, I don't want to be in line. But that's not exactly how things work in the, in the, in the kingdom. Um, I really don't like the term Christian. I'm, I'm sorry. hope that doesn't offend anyone. I think it's extremely watered down in today's culture. Uh, anywhere in the Bible Belt that you might exist, everybody's a Christian, right? Every, all your neighbors. Um, I just heard Francis Chan talking about, and he spent most of his career, if you ever listened to Francis Chan, out in California, he said, at least in California, they tell you they don't even like Jesus. You know, we're not a Christian. They'll tell you the truth. But it seems like everybody uh, in this part of the country and in the United States, we're a Christian nation. The problem with that is we don't look much like Christ. And that's the issue. Uh, because if you're, if you're a Christian, you're like Brandon says, you're supposed to be a little Christ. You're supposed to look like Christ. You're supposed to act like Christ, talk like Christ, think like Christ. But unfortunately, the church looks a lot like the world in so many ways. And it, it breaks my heart. And I, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. 
Every, I just want you to know, don't be offended today. I'm preaching to me. If there's something for you, please get it. But I'm preaching to Mark today. Because I prefer the term Christ follower. I think it's more appropriate. Uh, in the Bible, Christ talks a lot about um, he invites people to follow him. And, and just like in the church, some of them followed for a while and then they flaked out and they were gone. You know, uh, now if they were in need of a meal and he had some loaves and fishes, they'd show up for that. You know, the truth of the matter is, do we want to follow Christ or do you just want to enjoy his things? You know, and I, I've been that guy that just really wanted to enjoy his things. Um, but I think if we're really following Christ, we will become more like him. If we're truly in pursuit of following him and looking at how he, he study his word and look at how he, he spoke and how he acted and how he served, the main word is serve. You know, there's a song that says you're going to have to serve somebody. And I think every one of us is serving something. Now, it might be your favorite ball team. I hope it's Clemson, but if it's not, I'm just kidding. Or NASCAR, some of you race fans. Youth sports is big in this area. Uh, every kid plays baseball here, I think. Um, and there's nothing wrong with those pursuits, but those pursuits are worldly pursuits. How do, you, how do we incorporate Christ into them? That's the question. Do we? Do we do that? I think God requires us to follow his son. I think that's what he's asking us to do. I think that's how sanctification works. If I'm going to become like somebody, I have to spend time with somebody. Amen? Amen. Here's the big thing. The, Christ, the Christ-like life is not about us. It can't be. It's not about us. But so, so many times, because we are... Um, because we're so self-centered, self-focused. Amen. It's hard for us to hum humble ourselves and follow the Lord. Um, because if you look at Christ, he's, really, he's, not, he's not that impressive throughout his life. I mean, he is. He did a lot of miracles. But, I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't the, the guy they were looking for. They were looking for a guy that was going to overthrow the Roman government. Okay? The Jewish people wanted, they wanted a savior, but their idea of a savior was a, a powerful man, politically speaking, that would rally the people, that would overthrow the government that's been persecuting them for years and years. But that's not what he did. He never did that. In fact... He said you should pay your taxes, even if you have to go fishing, to do it. Um, so our culture, our culture says it's all about us and our happiness. Do you get that? I get it. If you look at the commercials, if you look at all the self-help people, if you look at what the world is teaching and telling us, telling our children, um, some people are preaching it from the pulpit. It's all about you and your happiness. 
It's not anything about you and your happiness. It's about your joy. It's about your joy. So to, to follow Christ, you're going to walk through some things that are difficult. You're going to have to make difficult decisions. You're going to have to serve people that you might not be that excited about serving. Me too. We, we should not get all we want in this life. In fact, every time I get, think I'm getting ahead, I start, I start think, thinking about Christ less and, and what, how God's taking care of me and supplying for my needs. I start thinking I'm self-reliant, right? That's what we're taught to be, self-reliant. you agree? Pull our own bootstraps up, take care of ourselves. Uh, Susie and I have been going through a difficult time, um, a little bit difficult time financially, and it just is what it is. You know, I started a different new job last year, and I'm on commission, and so I'm at the mercy of my sales. And uh, let's just say we're not exactly where I thought I'd be, but I'm exactly where God knew I'd be. Amen. You know, I remembered when I moved here from Vincennes, Indiana, and I had this crazy notion of transferring with a job that I was fairly successful in in Indiana with a company in sales. And the problem with that, you don't take any clients with you. You got to leave them in Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky. And I moved down here and I thought, man, I'm really good. This is going to be easy. Everything. I'm in the South. I'm in my element. I remember thinking of just how successful I was going to be. You know, and it didn't work out that way. Now, God wanted me here. I don't have any doubt. God opened all the doors to get me to move here, back home. And I was excited about that, uh, to come back and meet old friends again and, and be around this area that I grew up in from age 3 to 22. But... Let's just say my career didn't work out exactly as I planned. And about a year and a half into it, in a company I'd been with for over 12 years, they asked me to leave. And uh, they should have, because I didn't generate the sales they needed to keep me on. So I remember being kind of bitter about that and just saying, Lord, why'd you even move me back here? You know, because I'm mad. Because it's his fault now. You know, I, I don't have a job. I'm 50, whatever it was, 51, 52 years old. And I'm like, I just wish I'd have stayed in Indiana. I remember thinking that. I just wish I'd have stayed in Indiana. And the Lord told me, he said, yeah, you'd be planning your next vacation, and you wouldn't be dependent on me. Amen. I said, Lord, forgive me. You're right. He was exactly right. That's why I needed to learn that lesson. I remember thinking everybody could find a job until I had to stand in an unemployment line. That humbled me, and I needed that. But that's what following Christ is all about. We have to go through these storms in these valleys, whatever it is, whether it's financial or health, um, whatever it is, emotional. These valleys are where we look to our source. 
These valleys are where we, they're fertile valleys. They're where we grow. They're where we learn to follow Christ. Because when you're there, you have to. And that's a good thing. When I think back of the three years that Christ led on this earth, the, the disciples, and he showed them about how to serve and how to care for people and have compassion for people, how to take care of people, how to love people, people that weren't lovable, people that were outcast. I just, th- you know, I think it took them a while to get it. It takes us a while to get it, guys. It's hard to truly understand what it means to follow Christ. And, you know, the disciples, they were just like the, the other Jewish people. They were looking for that Savior that was going to conquer and take over the world. And that's just not the way Christ came to do it. So number one, let's talk about following. What does that mean? What does following mean in terms of our Christian walk? Do you want to die? Because that's really what it means. You have to die to follow Christ. Because it's essential to follow Christ, we must be dead to self. Our self keeps getting in the way of our walk. Amen. Is it just me? Does your self get in the way of your walk? You know, it's easy to talk about Christ and how awesome that he is. And he is. He is. When we, when we lay our life down at the cross and say, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm laying all my, other, my old stuff down. This is not me anymore. And our mind starts becoming renewed. And things start to change. But our self, our flesh, Paul calls it, just keeps creeping up. And it, it keeps trying to nudge that spirit out and, and hindering the spirit's movement in our lives. We go through that. We go through that all the time. I go through that. I still argue with my wife, and she's awesome. But I still argue with her because of myself. I want what I want, and she's not being reasonable, right? Did God tell me that my wife needed to be reasonable? No, he didn't. He said, you need to love her. You need to love her because I love her, and she's my daughter. And that makes makes her your wife and sister, right? And sister in Christ, yeah. Amen. We need to study Christ's example of humility. I don't know of another man that would let people that he could take out like that spit in his face, curse him, smack him. I don't know about most men, but have you ever been smacked in the face by another man? I don't know how much more degrading that could be. And the problem is, is just flat submission. Submission. You know, I, I'm in men's ministry here. and You know, I deal with things, and I, and I just, I remember, I've heard over and over, and myself too, you know, that sin, that sin just keeps bugging me, keeps creeping up on me, keeps getting me. And we, we, it's easy to quote, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, right? But right before that, it says, submit to God. So you got to do that part so the resistance part can, can come in. 
We need to read the all of Scripture, the part that we have to submit. Submission. Our prideful selves fight these things, and it's our natural man that says, I'm, I won't submit. But we must. Christ has earned that, that spot. Jesus' call to discipleship is a call to self-denial, crucifixion, and daily death. That's according to this book right here by John MacArthur. I'd recommend it if you want to read it. It's called Only Jesus. And it's a quick read, and it's about what it really means to be saved. You know, I've been saved for a little while. I got saved at 35. I'm 62. So I've been trying to walk this walk out for a few years. But it's always good to go back and, and just to understand what it means to follow Christ. We must, the Bible tells us, there's hard lessons in here. We must love him more than ourselves or even our family members. That's hard. Luke 14, 27. I think I got that right here. I want to read it to you. He actually uses the word hate. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's hard preaching right there. I'm sorry. It just is. But that's what, that's what Jesus said, and he wasn't mincing words. He wasn't. We have to be totally committed to him doesn't mean we, I mean, some of us, it might be easy for us to hate our brother. I don't know. Or our sister. But what he means is you have to love me so much that you don't love them like that in any way. You love them like I do. It's hard preaching. It's hard to understand. If Jesus, But I'll tell you one thing, and I heard a preacher say this one time, and it's, this is, this is a hard truth, too. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Think about that. If, he's not, if you still got this stuff over here, like, and I was that guy after I became a Christian. See, I didn't want to stand up here because I'm not worthy, and I'm not. He is. I didn't want to stand up here. Brandon asked me several times. Hey, I'm going to be gone. You want to preach? We were over to school. And I just remember thinking. I, I, I remember telling him, I don't have that gift, Brandon. It's easy for me to say. I don't have that gift. I, you know. But I was an elder, and I'm supposed to have that gift. You know, If you're an elder, you're supposed to be able to teach and preach. And I said, let me pray about it, and I'll let you know. And I hung up the phone. I was in my bedroom. I sat down on the bed, and I remember. I remember thinking, it's your time. You need to do it. And I remember thinking, boy, I look foolish up there. Yep. Christ said, you know how foolish I looked on that cross? You know how foolish? You can't look more foolish than a man being crucified. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. Anytime you ask me to speak, I'll speak. I don't even have to pray about it. If you show it to me, I'll pray. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I'll do it. 
<clears throat> All right, let's get into Scripture. John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, that's what we're talking about. When we follow him, doesn't say we walk downhill all the time. doesn't say everything's smooth and perfect all the time. But it does say we will never walk in darkness. And we'll, Jesus is life. We'll have life. We'll experience life. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So what's all this take up my cross stuff? It's a symbol of death. If you're going to take up your cross and follow Christ, you've got to kill that old man. You've got to quit. You don't attach him to your back and carry him around with you. You bury him. He's gone. You're a new guy. Doesn't mean you're perfect. I'm sure not. So where in the world are we being told to deny ourselves anything or take up our cross and follow? If we, if we will die to ourselves, we're in a place to follow. That's what puts us in that place where we can. I'm going to give you a little bit of my testimony, Cliff Notes version. Um, I grew up in church right over here in Gownsville. We were there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. My dad was a cultural Christian, my mom and my dad, in my younger life. Their life didn't look much like the church life through the week, but when I was about 13 years old, the church hosted an event called a Lay Renewal Weekend. I don't know if y'all are old enough to remember any of those. But it was a movement where people came from other churches, they gave their testimony, um, and it was kind of a revival, so to speak. And my parents made a decision to follow Christ there, then and there, both my mom and my dad. And I, I could see a change in them immediately. And, and God affected me in that moment. I had, I had prayed that prayer. See, I'm going to tell you about learning about lordship. That's what I want to talk to you about, lordship versus savior. There's a difference. When I was 12, I was at Marietta Baptist Camp. I don't even think it's there anymore. But it was a camp that we kids went to, and I was about 12 years old. And we had this bonfire, and I went, and all these kids were getting up and throwing a stick in the fire and giving a testimony to their, to their Christian walk and those kinds of things. And I remember sitting there thinking, I don't have anything to talk about. I don't know him. And I knew something was missing. But really what I was looking for was a savior. You know, I didn't want to die and go to hell. Nobody wants to die and go to hell, I don't think. I hope not, but. I didn't want to die and go to hell. And so I talked to my counselor when we got back from the bonfire, and he could tell something was troubling me, and I said, you know, I couldn't participate tonight. And I said, I'd really like to, I'd really like to know what it means to be a Christian. And he, 
he did he did the very best. We prayed a prayer, and I got baptized, and and and, and Jesus was in my life, and G, and God was working on my life, but I was I just couldn't grasp it, and I was I'm just like you know I just wanted the fire insurance. That's that's all I need right now. I'll run my life. I'll do what I want to do. I'm a kid. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do things I want to do. And I lived that way for years and years. And there were times that we'd have a revival and, and I'd go forward. And I'd know something was wrong. And I know I wasn't living right. So time went on. I got through college and that wasn't a really good experience for me. Because I'd never, I never drank in high school because I played ball. Not because Christ. I played ball, so I didn't drink. You know, I wanted to be a good ball player. And I wasn't that good anyway. But when I went to college, I learned how to, I learned how to drink. You know, I got introduced to that. And, and the party life. And, you know, you're on your own. You do whatever you want to do. And, yeah, I had, I had the sin that most men have of, of pornography in my life. I hope that's not a shock to you. That's just that's the way it is. And so I was living that lifestyle. And then that wasn't bad enough, so I had to go to the oil field to work two summers in college in West Texas in a town called Odessa. It was an evil place. You make a lot of money, but it was an evil place. The only good thing that came out of Odessa sitting on the front row, my wife, but I was, I was, you know, the, the oil field, you work hard and you play hard. And that's what we did. We worked hard and we played hard. And, and, and because you're oil field, they called us oil field trash. That's just what you did. And that's what I did. So I, I had met Susie the second summer I worked there. And we dated and I worked and made money and finished college and went back out there. Weren't any jobs and... So we plan. We continued to date, and we planned to get married in about a year, and, and we did. And and I was living this set, this other life that she didn't know anything about. You know, she knew about the drinking and all. We did that together. But um, the oil field kind of tanked out, and I had to make some changes career-wise. We moved to Virginia for a while, and and then I was working for a, a, a chemical company. We moved to Indiana. They moved us to Indiana, and I had a sales territory there. And, man, I was doing well. You know, I was making good money. I had an expense account. I was traveling so I could just do whatever I wanted to do. And um, I was hanging out with my guys I worked with, and, and we were partying it up, and we were going to the clubs. The clubs, you know, which kind of clubs I'm talking about. And we were doing all that stuff. And I was salesman of district salesman of the year, man. So much business just fell in my lap that I was on top of it until the next year rolled around. And the Clean Air Act was written, and the Midwestern coal business started plummeting because of the laws. And I started losing business, and things started going south. And 
It was September, mid-September 1995, I believe. I'm in the beautiful town of Henderson, Kentucky. If you've never been there. In a hotel with my boss. And we go to dinner. I didn't think much about it. I knew things weren't going well for me. But we're all right. And he looked across the table after dinner and he said, Mark, I'm going to have to let you go at the end of the year. See, I built my whole world around that job. See, my plans were to work for an alchemical company until I retired, have a million and a half dollars in my retirement fund. And that was, that was it. I already had it planned out. Had everything worked out. I'm like, what do you mean you're going to let me go? Did he not know I was a district salesman the year the year before? He didn't care. I went back to the hotel and I called her and I was she can tell you I was angry. I won't even say what I probably said on the phone. I was angry. I was hurt. And I laid down in that bed and I could not sleep because I had no peace. Because everything I built my life on was being swept away by the end of the year. So I couldn't sleep, so I turned on the light, and there was that, you know that red Gideon Bible sitting there on that nightstand beside the hotel bed? See, I wasn't at a Billy Graham revival. I was in a hotel room in Kentucky, and I grabbed that that and I opened the, the front page and there was a you know them little notepads that they write on beside the you know in the hotel rooms well they did then I don't know they probably got a computer now somebody had torn it out and written have a nice day <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> and wrote numbers 6 24 and 26 so I said okay probably ought to read that I looked over there and it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. And I started falling under conviction right there. Why would God do that for me? I didn't even talk to him. I didn't care about him except on Sunday in my suit when I looked really good. And then 26 says, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's the priestly blessing. But it hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I needed peace at that moment more than I needed anything. And I told the Lord, I said, I have messed. I, I was in the, in, the, in the slop with the pigs right there. That's where you got to get. I was in the slop with the pigs, and I had my Savior, Lord, my Savior, but I didn't have my Lord. I didn't understand I needed a Lord to run my life because I had already run it in the ground. And I got down on my knees beside that bed with no preacher present, and I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told him I would follow him from that point on. And a ton of bricks 
was lifted off of my shoulders. I called my wife back and told her, I just gave my heart to the Lord. He's in charge. I don't know how things are going to work out, but everything's going to be all right. I got some stuff to tell you when I get home. And Friday I drove home, and I told my wife about my lifestyle, all of it. And I told her that if she left me, I'd understand because I've, I've, I've lived this way. And uh, I've hidden it from her. And she stuck with me. And it's been hard. And uh, she's my greatest supporter. I just tell you all that just to tell you I had to learn to follow because I didn't know what that meant. I had to learn to be a servant and a slave. That's the words that are used in the, in the, in the Bible. Um, and that brings us to the next step. See, the title, of, the title is lead, follow, or get out of the way. Or follow, lead, and get out of the way. I had to learn to follow. You know, you can't be a leader until you learn to follow. That's the truth. Amen. You know, that's why there's things like apprenticeships and internships. You've got to follow and learn what you need to know before you can ever think about leading anybody. Or you should. How should it look in the church? How should leadership look in the church? I think we can look, check out the military model. I think that one's a pretty good one. To be a great leader, you must be a great follower. And this couple of weeks ago, we just celebrated Memorial Day. And my, my dad fought in World War II, and my uncle died fighting in World War II, and so every Memorial Day, I try to think more about that and, and what it really means. And we were at home that weekend with our son and his daughter, and I said, you know what? I, I kind of reflected on my, my father and my, and my uncle that died, and I said, let's see if we can find something on TV. You know, Netflix got everything. And there was, there was, a, there was a documentary series called Medal of Honor, if you've been able to watch it, I'd recommend it. And it's got some language in it, but it's true stories about men that have been given the Medal of Honor. You know, the president gives you that. And another reason you get it is you have to have witnesses that actually witnessed what happened and what you did. So I started watching that, and one of them that really struck me was about a World War II veteran who was given that award after his death. His name was Sergeant Sylvester Analock. He's from Ohio. He was in Ohio, big family, farm family, uh, but he went over, he was fighting in Germany, and his men and he were pinned down in this, in this building that was nothing but rubble. And it was, a, there was over 200 yards off, there was a German machine gun, whatever you call it, pit. And they're, they're firing on them. They had just tried to start, you know, moving, and all of a sudden they're under fire. And, and Sergeant Antelok, he's, uh, he's there, and he looks at his men, and he knows if I don't do something, we're all going to die. Something's got to be done. Somebody has to take action. See, he's their leader. But he's fixing to show them the example 
of what a true leader can do. So he looks at his guys and says, cover me, and he takes off right across an open field. And he's got a 45 caliber Thompson submachine gun, and he's shooting it at them. And they, they're shooting right back at him. And he's running straight towards them. And he gets hit, and he goes down. Each time he gathers his helmet, kicks off his wounds, gets up, and goes again. Gets shot down again. Gets shot through the arm he's holding the machine gun with. So what does he do? Does he stay down? No. He gets it under this arm. He jumps up and starts at him again. And he finally gets there, kills three of them, and the other two surrender. I mean, amazing. Amazing. So they come, and, you know, they congregate, and they get these guys, and then... While they're sitting there, a couple hundred yards off, here's some more Germans shooting at him. And he, he does the same thing. He gathers himself, gun under the left arm because his right arm shot, and he takes off after him. And he gets killed. He does get killed. But that's what true leaders do. See, they don't lead from the back. They lead from the front. Christ led from the front. Christ went to the cross. The thing we should have had to do. He did that. That's what leaders do. Because just like Christ, they're not afraid of the fight. They're not afraid of the fight. That's somebody you can follow. Somebody that's not afraid of the fight. Matthew 20, 26 through 28. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. The Greek word is diakono. It's where we get diaconate or deacon from. And whosoever would be first among you must be your slave. Slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus came to do. So what do great leaders do? We, we can look to Christ for that example. They don't make it about themselves. Great leaders, they don't make it about themselves or their ego. Here's some things that if you want to ever aspire to be a great leader in Christ, you have to do. Nurture a Christ-like servant-hearted character. And you ask yourself, how can I live out Christ's servant-hearted character, putting first concern for those whom I lead? We have to focus on others. You ask yourself, what else can I do to enable each person that I lead to achieve his or her full potential? See, that's what, it, what happens when you pour into people. Because it's not about you, it's about it's about your ministry. Take responsibility for understanding. What can I do to ensure that others have understood me and I have understood them? We wouldn't have near as much conflict in our churches if we would follow these rules as leaders. Consider the individual. How can I improve the manner in which we work together by adjusting how I interact with each person? 
Nurture the character. How can I affirm those who are, uh, who are honest and truthful? And how can I better reflect Christ's love by treating everyone with honesty, honesty and dignity? Model the way. How can I make my values to be more Christ-like and live them out in front of those who I lead? Inspire shared vision. You guys ever think much about vision? You know, this church has to have a vision. What happens when you don't have a vision? People perish, right? How can I engage my team to build a shared vision that encourages greater levels of cooperation? Challenge the process. How can I encourage my team to continually find better ways of doing things? How many times have you heard, well, we've always done it that way? I don't make it their best way. Amen. There may be somebody in your team that knows a better way. should listen to them. Enable others to achieve. How can I better equip and empower those whom I lead to be more easily, uh, to more easily reach and fulfill our shared vision and encourage the heart? How many times do we encourage other people that we work with? Let's encourage them. Let's be encouraging. The Bible talks an awful lot about it. How can I publicly and genuinely recognize the value of individuals and their achievements? And lastly, what we need to do for leaders is grow a servant's heart. Grow a servant's heart. We've just talked about some of what it, what it means to have a servant's heart. We talked about Christ and how much he served and how much he cared and how much he loved and how much he sacrificed. I pray that you and I will grow a servant's heart in the coming days. I'm at that point in my life where I'm thinking a whole lot more about how I'm going to finish. Am I going to finish well? Am I going to leave? We're all going to leave a legacy. We talk about that sometimes. We're all leaving a legacy. If you're alive and you have people around you that actually know you, you're leaving a legacy. What's it going to look like? Because when they start tossing that dirt on your casket or dumping those ashes out on the ground or whatever, whichever way you decide to, to go out and be celebrated, I don't think it's going to matter is what you did for the kingdom and what you left behind and what you left behind, what that's going to do. And I just think about Christ, his death, burial, and his resurrection. He poured into Mary Magdalene. Nobody wanted to deal with her. She had, what, seven demons in her? Six, seven, something like that. He cast those out. She was a woman nobody, no respectable Jewish man would hang out with. But he poured into her. And who did he talk to first after he came out of the tomb? He told her to go tell him. So you've got to go back and tell my disciples, who were hiding, by the way, afraid, 
to meet me 70 miles down the road. That's powerful. Jesus used women in ministry. Jesus loved women and men. And he loved guys that, that weren't polished. He had a bunch of fishermen. A bunch of crazy guys, right? He poured into Peter. And Peter was a knucklehead. That's why I've, I kind of relate to that guy. You know, he was always getting angry and stuff. He was, he's passionate. If you're passionate, you're passionate about all kinds of you're something. Peter was passionate. You know, he's like, I'm taking this sword out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this guy's ear off. But Jesus was trying to show him that this is not, this is not how this is going down. And he already told him, you're going to deny me three times, right? And he said, never. You know, Jesus had to tell him to get behind me, Satan. It's not, this is not how I'm doing things. But what I love is after Jesus... After Jesus came back out of the grave, he's going to meet the disciples and they're, they're fishing again. I know how I'd be. These guys are out there fishing. Like, I've spent three years pouring into these guys and they just don't get it. Now I'm resurrected. We're ready to go. We got, you know, I already told him I'm building my church on you. And he's out there with, with my guys and they're fishing. I'd be furious. Jesus was not. He cooked breakfast. Cooked breakfast for him. I don't know where he got the fish. Probably just jumped out of the water. I don't know. Showed him one more time that he could perform another miracle for him. They hadn't been down that road once. Caught a bunch of fish again, didn't they? And they came up on the bank, and, and Jesus nailed Peter to the wall. <laughs> I love this. He looked at Peter and he said, do you love me? Yep. Sure. Yep. Feed my sheep. Ask him three times. It's not a coincidence. Peter was getting nailed every time. But those guys, those 11 guys, they all died for what they believed in. Jesus did pour into them. They did follow him, and they continued to follow him after he left. He said, I'll leave a comforter for you. We can't walk this walk without the Holy Spirit, guys. We just can't. We could try to be good, and we can could, we could say we're going to follow Christ, but the only way we can do it is with the power that he left us to do it with. I'm getting ready to close this thing out. Um, I appreciate your time this morning. I hope you understand what it means to follow Christ. I hope it makes sense. The last part, of, the last point, and it's a short one, is lead, follow, follow, lead, or get out of the way. Some of us, it might just be time to get out of the way. I don't know. What can we say? If we're not following, not leading in servant way, maybe we're in the way. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, and 7, and this is what I'm going to leave you with. 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commend you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Some more hard truth right there. So in conclusion, if we're not operating in the fruit of the Spirit, and we know those, we can't be used by God through Jesus to spread the gospel unless we, unless we are following his example of submission to the Father's will. I appreciate, you, I appreciate you guys listening to me this morning. I pray that we all become great followers of Jesus Christ. And I pray we never have to walk in darkness again. And I pray as we, as we become good followers and God leads us to a place of leadership, that we will, for not, we will not forget how Christ led and how he loved and how he served. Um, you guys have a great Sunday. I know um, we'll close out here. Uh, let me pray, and then, um, then I think Dustin's going to come up. Uh, with the team that's going uh, on the mission trip. Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity to come and speak about following you and try to help myself understand what it means and, and how, how, how essential it is to my, my relationship to you, God. I pray that I would be submissive, that I would be willing to serve others, Lord, because... Uh, the, the prize is you, Lord. So many times we, we try to think about what we can get out of this world and, and what we need to feel, uh, to feel like something. But, Lord, you've made us something because you're something. And, Lord, you've done what we couldn't do. I pray, God, that you would allow us to become better leaders and, uh, God, that we would glorify you in everything we do in our lives. Forgive us for our failures, Lord. And pick us up and help us to go again in a better way. In Jesus' name, amen.